This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to join us on today. Special welcome, as always, to those of you joining us for the very first time. We are going to move on from our recent series of potpourris that were dedicated to new UX professionals. Uh, But I did want to mention, and I guess you could think of this as an anniversary celebration mode that we're about to go into. Yes, uh, we are about to celebrate the third anniversary of the World of UX podcast. Uh, We've been really happy to be able to share with people around the world. Uh, We're happy to share and bring to you voices throughout the community that need to be heard. Uh, And while I did just wrap up those segments that were focusing on things that for the most part, new UXers needed to uh, to embrace, and, and we were we had them in mind as we were doing all these things. Um, we're not going to do that tonight. This is going to be an all inclusive uh, type of thing. Definitely on tonight, new UXers are going to get a lot out of this, I think. Uh, but there is a special set of episodes that I wanted to sort of let people in on that are about to take place. We recently made arrangements, and have secured, uh, invited, <laughs> and and uh, scheduled sessions that are, again, dedicated to new user experience professionals. We are going to have three or four new UXers on a sequence of episodes in the not-too-distant future. So uh, I'm really excited about that. Several people are excited about it. The folks that are going to be on the show are excited about it. And so we're looking forward to to bringing that to you in the not-too-distant future. So uh, that said, let's go ahead and dive in. And the subject of tonight's episode is something that I like to call the beauty of lemonade. And, and again, and people are like, Darren, what in the world does that have to do with UX? And, and it's funny how people, they hear what I have to say, they hear me regularly, they see the things that I post on social media, and then they still <laughs> turn around. And I mean, I, I would hope that people would see by now what our purpose is and the consistency and the things of that nature. You got to know that, you know, I love metaphors. So you should know those of you who have never heard me before. You don't know. I, I get it. Uh, some people who should have known. Yeah, because people do that all the time and. As I said in the last episode, gloves are off. I'm, I, I, I've sort of had my fill of people who will say something detracting because they just want to be detracting, but it doesn't really have any any reliable or ethical purpose behind it. So anyway, I, I just wanted to mention that. Lemonade again is a metaphor. So we'll get. Let's just get into it, shall we? 
the a lot of us are familiar with the saying that when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And I, I heard somebody say that. I've been hearing that for a very long time. And I heard somebody say it one day, and it just hit me. And I began to think about how there are a lot of times in UX that things just are not, they're not anywhere near as being perfect. We're, we're not going to have a lot of perfect situations as it is. But a lot of times we get dealt lemons. And so I wanted to take time out to talk about lemonade tonight and help people put some things in a proper perspective. And, and what I was about to say a few moments ago was that on this broadcast, and for those of you who, who are just joining for the first time, and you might be already wondering, what in the world is this? What in the world am I about to listen to? The I don't always talk about stereotypical UX stuff because people are already doing that. People are telling us how to do the work. We don't need any more podcasts. There, there's got to be at least three, four, five hundred podcasts that are talking about the work. Where we're getting burned is when it comes down to things like what I'm going to talk about tonight. And that's why the show is called what it's called. This is not the information architect hour. This is not the, the prototyping hour. This is not the, the design sprint hour. We're not talking about any of that stuff. We need to talk about the things that are causing people to pull their hair out, figuratively speaking, of course. We need to talk about the things that have people leaving the discipline or changing careers because they can't take it anymore. We're trying to equip people. If you love the discipline, you really have what you need to make it. Just that passion alone is going to drive you light years beyond where you are, again, figuratively speaking, and so to speak. But there are a lot of people that come into situations in their UX operation where they're dealt lemons and they have no idea what to do. So we're going to talk about six of those scenarios, at least six. I'm sure we'll we'll sort of veer off into a couple other areas as we start getting into the content tonight. But people get dealt lemons. They don't know what to do. They get dealt lemons. Some people, I've seen people get so upset when they get dealt lemons and you see them sit there and turn red at work and they're about to explode. And there's no reason for us to do that. I understand the frustration. I've, I've been frustrated before. I've seen it to the nth degree. I've seen and talked to people who are frustrated all over the world. And what I have learned, and this is my 28th year in the discipline that we now refer to as UX, and I've seen some things. I've seen some stuff. I, I, I've had my day where I went had to go to my car and cry because you just didn't know what to do because of what people were subjecting you to. But you know what? After all is said and done, we still have work to do, and we still need to buckle down, batten down the hatches, and deliver. And especially remember, everything that we do, everything that we say is lending itself to someone else's perception of the UX discipline. Everybody doesn't understand UX, and we, we get enough of that. And, and no matter what company you're at, no matter how great you might think it is, no matter how great your team is, we're all subjected to lemons. And so let's put on our critical thinking hat, because that's part of what gets us out of this. Let's put on our emotional intelligence hat 
And let's start to think through some things. Let's give some thought to these scenarios to try to help ourselves be in a better position so we can, again, represent the discipline well and be in a, a, a situation where we're in a good state mentally and where we're not going to lose it, where we're going to be encouraged, even if the circumstances are discouraging, we can still be encouraged in that we know what to do in this setting. And and, and so I'll mention, again, six things I want to focus on. I'm going to probably mention more than that, but I'm also going to mention several mindsets that we need to have that will help us to thrive when we're up against it, so to speak. Number one, and a lot of people are going to relate to this right off the bat, you're trying to get your UX work done. You know you need to do some research, but the company simply won't support it. They want you to get design done without the benefit of and without the resources, the time, the investment, the support to do research. So driving solutions, number one, Without research is a scenario where we've been given lemons, but we need to find a way to turn those lemons into lemonade. We need to find a way to be successful in a scenario that really is counterproductive as it pertains to success. I've been there in my in my career, and I want to share a story of how I was able to turn lemons into lemonade when I was expected to drive solutions without any research. One of the things that that I have found is really, really helpful when someone, they want you to deliver, they want you to bring them the world, and here you are trying to do exactly that and find out that you're not going to be able to get access to users. You're not going to be able to conduct any type of research whatsoever. And so now, what do we do? How do we, how do we achieve success? And, and I'm, I was in a situation where we had to do exactly that. We had no access to research. We couldn't get access to users, not at the at that particular time in the project with the project I have in mind. Uh, but what I'm about to mention is also what I consider to be the starting point. Uh, when you're actually trying to get into the nooks and the crannies after you get your requirements, after you find out where what you're trying to accomplish, after you find out what the business goals are, there has to be a time where if you can't do research, the next best thing that you can do is lean on heuristics. Heuristics, according to Jacob Nielsen and several others, can be used to find up to 90% of any issues in a design. And, and the funny thing is that's usually directed at like a redesign, something that already exists that you can look at. But truth be told, heuristics can be applied to and can be used to inform design efforts. You can design navigation keeping heuristics in mind the whole time. You can set up your content and your layout keeping heuristics in mind. You can set up task flows, keeping heuristics in mind. And so the more you know about heuristics, the better position you're going to be to turn those lemons into lemonade. So you just tap into the heuristics. If you're working on a redesign, you can use heuristics to find up to 90% of what's in a design. If you're working on a brand new project, 
heuristics can inform the work kids are doing. And sort of borrowing from the recent uh, brief series we did on heuristics, a lot of people, when heuristics comes to mind, they're only talking about Jacob Nielsen. There are a lot more sets of heuristics, heuristic models that are out there that can be used to to drive your designs. And, And also, something else that's critical to understand about that, and something I mentioned to someone recently in a conversation, they were asking me about using heuristics and how you go about doing it. And Nielsen's heuristics, of course, came up in that conversation. And one of the things that I think the person was really surprised about when I talked about applying heuristics, when they said, which model do you think I should use? And I said, how about you do what I do? How about knowing multiple models and using them simultaneously? Because truth be told, while we appreciate what Nielsen did and we appreciate those foundations that were laid, truth be told, Nielsen's heuristics were created in about 1993, really before the advent of the internet. And so a lot of us are working on either websites, mobile apps, a lot of digital properties. And if you try to use that model, you're, on, you're not going to find 90% of what's wrong with the design You've got Susan Weinshank and Dean Barker. You've got John Hutchins. You've got Abby Covert and the Understanding Group. And there are several others that that I'd never even bothered to mention on any other episodes before or in any talks that I've done. Those are probably the, the four that are dominant when it comes to digital design and interaction design. But if you use them all, you make yourself aware of a wider set of tools. Make yourself aware of a wider set of principles. Broaden your horizons, and it gives you the ability to impact your work even more. So you can achieve, again, you can find up to 90% of what's wrong with the design, things that need to be addressed, things that need to be upgraded, things that need to be improved. If you want to optimize task flows, you want to optimize the user experience, you want to bring more delight, you can find up to 90% of the issues related to those things using heuristics alone. So don't think that if I can't do research, I can't be successful. I've done it in my career and was able to go back later and validate through heuristics. Matter of fact, before I move on to number two, I worked on a project once, and I told this story once. I worked on a project once where the first thing I did was conduct a heuristic analysis. I had 45 pages of findings. This presentation was given. I didn't know it. They didn't tell me, but there were some C-suite people at the presentation where I was sharing my heuristic findings. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about research, right? No research was done, and I came up with 45 pages of findings, things that we needed to change in order to optimize the design. There was a person, and I've been talking a lot lately about character assassination in UX and how broadly it it, it rears its ugly head, and there was a person who really was threatened by me. Frankly, I'm just going to tell you what it was. The person was threatened by me. Uh, It was one of those sexist things where uh, somebody was actually just mad at men and I happen to be a man, and I happen to be of African-American descent. So she was getting two for the price of one, I guess, apparently. And I sort of laugh about it now. 
And and I found out that she was trying to campaign for them to get rid of me. Now, here's the funny thing. I didn't do anything to trigger any of that. That was this was just her bias and, and her animosity that was at work. Because here's the trick. At the time, this was roughly 10 years ago. So I kind of told people where it happened before I saying that. But this is roughly 10 years ago. And so at the time, I have roughly uh 18 years of experience. The person who was doing that had zero. The person was, and some of you have heard me talk before about posers, retrofits, and upstarts. That person was a retrofit. That person was a project manager who was retrofitted into a UX position. And as I say all the time, being in UX, being successful in UX, you can't be successful if you have certain personality traits. And people who have inferiority complexes will suffer. Instead of being in a position where I was willing to help that person grow, but instead of taking advantage of of having access to me and using that to help further their career, the person spent a ton of time trying to throw me under the bus. And it was interesting that the person conducted usability testing on my designs, not because they were trying to validate my designs. They were trying to conduct research, supposedly, on my designs. Keep in mind, the person, remember, they didn't have any experience, didn't know how to design research anyway. But that's another, <laughs> we'll deal with that another time. The person, long story short, tries to conduct research for the express purpose of invalidating me. And the person ended up coming to me, Darren, Darren, I, I conducted research on, oh, on your designs, which I had already done, by the way. <laughs> Throw that in there. And the people loved it. And they could use everything so easily. And everything was so great. I, I just thought you should know. Number one, I already knew. Number two, it blew her mind because she only conducted the research hoping that she would be able to show that my designs didn't work. But my point, little embedded side message there, I was able to accomplish that success and redesign a multi-million dollar educational application on the internet and heuristics was used to drive that success. Mostly, it was heuristics. We went back and validated the heuristics through research later, but all of those design recommendations and all those findings were all research-oriented. There was no regular research up front. And yes, for the record, for somebody who's already uh, uh, scratching their head and looking cross-eyed, heuristics are actually classified under research, for the record. They are. They're classified under research. Their heuristic analysis is listed as a type of research mechanism. You know, but you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about research. There was no re- there was no remote usability testing. There was no card sorting. There was no tree testing. There was no A-B testing. There was no first click testing. There was no ethnography. All of those different things that we do, no contextual inquiry. All these different types of things were uh were available in general, but none of them were used to drive the success of that project. So I know for a fact, and that's not the only time I've done it in my career, I know for a fact that you can drive tremendous success just through heuristics. So just something that that folks should should know. Number two, 
there are times that we are brought into a project, and it's funny how this works. I know a lot of people can relate to what I'm about to say, but we're brought into a project as an afterthought. So the second thing I want to talk about is getting involved at the last minute. I I dedicated an entire episode to what I called UX train hopping. It is an art. We have to, in order to succeed, when somebody dishes out the lemons of calling on us at the last minute, which by the way, a lot of times people call on UX at the last minute and then they turn around and try to blame us when things go south, if they go south. So you need to be aware of that as well, that that people do that, that, that some stakeholders will do that, especially ones who have not bought in to UX and want to make UX their scapegoat. That is a common practice for those of you that are not aware. But at any rate, just because you get involved at the last minute does not mean that you cannot bring value. So how do you do train hopping? And by the, the concept of train hopping, another metaphor where you've ever seen, I actually got that from a movie. Uh, you look at the old Hunger Games, or is it, no, the uh, Divergent, the Divergent movie where you had all these different clans, everybody was divided up into groups, and there was this group called Dauntless, and they were very, very uh, adventurous, and they're sort of out-of-the-box kind of thinkers and, 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 and people of that kind of a mindset, and they were always jumping on moving trains. And it's weird. I actually don't, I'm a big movie person, but I hated that movie. But I did get a lot out of seeing that. I'm sitting in the theater and I see these people run and jump on the trains. And I began thinking about UX just out of the blue because them jumping on the trains reminded me of how often we get brought into something at the last minute, but we still need to jump on that moving train. That is that project. Those are the lemons. The project's already moving but I'm still being counted upon to bring value, to bring success. And I'm here to tell you, you can jump on that train. You can get involved at the last minute and still drive success. So somebody may say, how do you do that, Darren? What do you do is you, first, you need to understand what the business purpose is. You need to do that as quickly as you can. There's going to be some resources available. There's a uh, um, a statement of work, uh, a project brief. There's something. Somebody has documented something and find somebody who can give you a quick download, get the information, find out what the business is trying to accomplish with that initiative. That helps you understand where the bullseye is for the work that you're doing. Then start hunting for all the low hanging fruit you can. Hey, You got on board at the last minute. You're not going to conquer the world. But there usually is a bunch of low-hanging fruit that really falls squarely into the lap of or the, the, the arena of user experience, things that we can address that other people didn't, couldn't, wouldn't, whatever it might be. Find out what the business is trying to accomplish. Find out what the low-hanging fruit is and get busy. Bring value. You'll be able to double back after they deploy, because remember, it's the ninth hour now, so they're going to be deploying soon. Find out what you can do to bring value, strive to bring that value, find all the different methods, methodologies, techniques in that UX toolbox of yours to get busy and drive success. And then you're going to buy yourself time to be able to do something as they get ready for the next release or whatever the cycle 
is of the work that you're doing there. But you bring value again at the last minute by finding low-hanging fruit, understanding what the business is trying to accomplish, and going ahead and addressing it. And you can drive success. That's a huge win for your team. That helps the, the, the company, people in the company, stakeholders, to value user experience that if they don't bring us in early in the project, we can still achieve something. There's still something that we can help accomplish. And by having your head on a, on a swivel, by being able to pivot quickly, which is something you really develop over time. I don't expect a lot of new UXers to be able to do it, but it doesn't hurt you to be aware of these types of things. It, it really is a uh, going to be a great feather in your cap if you can. The, the, the quicker you recognize the value of doing such a thing and the more determined you are to make sure that you develop that skill. It's really going to help you out a lot in your career. Number three, there are times that we, we, we know what work we have to get done, and we know we really would love to have tool X, tool Y, or tool Z, and either the budget won't allow it, there's some type of security restrictions, there's a lot of different things that are going on. Company didn't renew a license and here you are stuck. You need that license. They're not going to renew the license. The license expired. So you're not going to be able to use that tool. Sometimes, number three, we just don't have the tools we want. But, and this is why pivoting, learning how to pivot is so critical because things don't always go our way. And, and when we don't have the tools that we want, but we're still expected to deliver, that's a, 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 a sack of lemons and you need to make lemonade. So here's a little sidebar too that I haven't mentioned yet. You only make lemonade when you keep your head up. You're not going to make lemonade if you're a complainer. You're not going to make lemonade if you're one of those people that's always finding something to gripe about. You're not going to, to make lemonade if you're neurotic, if everything rocks your boat. We have to understand the fact that healthy friction is a part of the UX landscape and know that there's going to be healthy friction, but make sure that you're going to surf on that, on that healthy friction and not let it overwhelm you or capsize you cognitively. More metaphors. You know, I love metaphors. So you don't always have the tools you want. That will not and should not, do not allow it to keep you from delivering on what you need to deliver. Learn how to deliver value no matter what tools you have. And when one tool is taken away, find something else. There's always something that we can use to, to, to do our job to the best of our ability. And there's always a way to get the work done faster than what we would do if we didn't have any tools at all. So, and remember, they're just tools. They're just tools. So if one tool is not at your disposal, get another one. This is really big for people who you, you leave one company, you go to another, and you may be used to having tools, and then you get to the other company and you find out that they're real scaled back with tools, then you're going to have to get really creative really, really fast so you can get things done. So learn how to optimize when you don't have the tools that you want. Number four, and this one happens a lot, especially in the midst of all the layoffs that we hear about in the world of UX and the tech world in general. But a lot of times, I mean, if you had 10 team members and now you have five, you had 18 members, now you have four, you had, you had 
five team members and now you have two, or maybe now you're a UX team of one. And please go read Leah Bewley's book about the, about the UX team of one. There's a lot of gold in that book that's going to help you when you are, number four, shorthanded. Being shorthanded, being expected to deliver when you do not have the personnel, you do not have the human resources that you feel you need to get something done, guess what? You're still expected to get something done within a certain amount of time. So it's important when you recognize, yeah, recognize it. I'm shorthanded. We could really use some extra help. I don't have enough people to get this done. Every time I turn around, something's coming over the wall and it needs to be done. Hey, accept the challenge. Accept it. Know that you're shorthanded. There's got to be somebody, I would hope, who's championing your cause, who's going to bat for you, for me, that is aware that we don't have the human resources that maybe we need, that maybe we once had, but the work hasn't changed. We don't have less work. Matter of fact, we probably have more on our plate than we did before, but you can still make lemonade out of those lemons that you've been dealt. I've been there before. We get it done. There's a way to accelerate things. You can find ways to optimize your personal efficiency, your team efficiency, but don't let being shorthanded be an excuse to deliver quality. Make sure that you're determined to do that. Make sure that you're given to it. Make sure that you're, that I, 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 it, it, it's delivery or bust. It's value or bust. It's success or bust. That's my personal mindset. All of these things, I've come face to face with everything I'm mentioning to you during this episode, and I know that there's ways to get it done in some of the worst circumstances also. So make sure that don't let short being shorthanded throw you for a loop. It is what it is. And, and I found also the more organized you are, the more you can get done in a shorter period of time. So there's another method for you to use when you are shorthanded. It's amazing how, how much you can accomplish when you just get all your ducks in a row. You'd be amazed of how you really multiply your ability to produce simply because of the structure that you apply to yourself. So uh, if you take the time to get organized, take the time to get all your due dates in order, take the time to understand what's due, what the dependencies are, how one project might impact another, and then just optimize that organization, and you'll find that it will help you to get things done and the next thing you know, you're moving from one thing to another. If you're one of those companies where they've got the ping pong tables and, and all of that kind of distracting stuff, just leave that stuff alone. We don't go to work to play. We go to work to work. So if you're, you know you're shorthanded, you know you don't have enough people, just get busy. Just get busy. And, and when you get busy, you're going to be in a lot better position as a, as a focused individual, as a determined individual, as an organized individual, you'll find that you can really move. You can really move and get things done in an extremely timely manner. Matter of fact, you can deliver early. So <laughs> you can you can overpromise or underpromise and overdeliver. <laughs> That's the way that a lot of people like to think of it as, but you got to be organized. That's how you overcome 
being shorthanded. You you make sure you understand what all the purposes and the goals are of the business and you and you optimize. That's it. Get organized. Number five, and this is a really, really painful one. I know for many of us, if not all of us, but one of the worst feelings or mindsets you can be subjected to as a user experience professional is being void of support. That's number five. And just as is the case with the other lemon scenarios that I mentioned, when you're void of support, when you don't have support of your immediate boss, the going up the ladder on the org chart, you've got people that just are not supporting UX the way that you would like them to. When things like that happen, the work still hasn't changed. We still have to deliver on the work that that's expected of us. And so again, we talked about being organized. That that helps when you when you don't have support. Matter of fact, it's even more important when you don't have support. Making sure to optimize communication because when you don't have support, and you have those situations where some people say all eyes are on you. That's not a supportive scenario. When all eyes are on you, those people are usually critical. They're not usually supportive. Their eyes are on you because they're looking to, to criticize something. They're not looking to pat you on the back about something. But the funny thing is, whether they're being critical or being supportive, do not you and I still need to bring value? Do not you and I need to be committed to the cause? Do not you and I need to be laser focused and making sure that we're organized and delivering on the things that not only the business is asking for, but things we know we need to be doing as user experience professionals. So because that is the case, you need to make sure you have that laser focus, you have that organization, and that you are determined to operate in excellence because while you, when you don't have support, the only way you're going to ever get support is to deliver, to provide and generate results, to bring value to the organization, to help drive profit. That's how you turn that lemon into lemonade. Because you can't just be somebody that has to, to be praised all the time. If, if, you're, if, if your skin is too thin, where somebody always has to be telling you, like somebody, I remember I had a conversation with somebody, they were talking about compliment sandwich. And I told the person, please don't, please don't do that. You know, tell me what's going on. Tell me what I need to hear because that's going to help me navigate. I'm not going to navigate because you decide to say something that tickles my ear. I'm not a child, so I don't need that. I don't need, don't need that kind of psychology. Tell me what's happening. I'm trying to make lemonade here. So just give me the lemons. You can't make lemonade without lemons. So give me the lemons. Give it to me straight. And so when people, again, are not supporting you, you're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to earn their trust. You're going to have to earn earn their willingness to go to bat for you. And you're only going to be able to do that when you speak their language. Throw that in there. When you speak their language and when you deliver results. The business understands results. The business understands value. And user experience teams, the best user experience teams understand that and they work to deliver value. They work to to illustrate that they are a necessity 
And they're not just somewhere saying they're a necessity. They're actually working to prove that they're a necessity. So work to do that, and you'll be able to turn that set of lemons of being void of support, void of support into lemonade. The last one that we have here is, and this is also a big one that's related to being void of support, and it has to do with being misunderstood, trying to achieve success while you're being understood. This is also extremely common in UX. People are, I always find it interesting how people, they will constantly ask you how you're doing the UX work, which is the equivalent of asking somebody how sausage is made. And if you saw how the sausage is made, the chances are likely that you're not going to be interested in that sausage. Fill in whatever kind of metaphor you want there. How are the bricks made? How was the, how was the, I know some people like to eat this thing called head cheese. I don't eat it, but <laughs> matter of fact, that's a great metaphor. And a lot of you probably don't eat it either. But when I found out, I didn't want it prior to finding out how it was made. But when I found out how, how hog head cheese is made, I went so far in the other direction. There was no way in the world that I was going to do that. I even had an experience when I was a kid when apparently one of my best friends' father was about to make some hog head cheese, and I didn't know that. And, and I went into the kitchen and looked in the box, and I saw this head. You could go to the meat market and actually buy a hog head. I mean, th th they don't just call it hog head cheese because it's cute. It's literally made out of a hog's head. And, and this was... It was a really harrowing experience in my life as a as a, a 10, 11-year-old. It really freaked me out to see that. That's a nice, gross example <laughs> that I think really fits here because a lot of people, if they understand how the UX sausage is made, they won't have an appreciation for it because they they won't appreciate what it is. They'll like it. When it's done and they're tasting it, even when they smell it, they like the smell of it. Again, and some of you I know don't eat meat and all that, but you understand the message I'm trying to convey here. They love the smell of it. They love the taste of it. They love eating it. That all works. But you don't want to be there when it's being made. You may never eat it again. I know people who stopped eating certain, certain food once they saw it made. And, and UX is the same way. It's not a sexy, as some people I've heard people refer to it that way before, it's not a sexy process. None of what we do is a sexy process. And if people get exposed to it, then it becomes problematic. So we have these people who do not understand what we do. You have people that don't understand really the value we bring in part because they've never seen a UX person bring value. There are a lot of people like that. They've never seen UX people really do anything of note from a business perspective. They, they simply haven't. And that's why they feel the way that they do toward user experience teams. And some of them, frankly, no matter what you do, they're always going to maintain that mindset because some people thrive on, uh, they thrive on cynicism. And if they can't be cynical or skeptical, they're just not happy. That That's just the way, that's some people's makeup. That's the way it is. We can't be discouraged by that. We can't be distracted by that. We're entering, all of us are in a discipline in its earliest stages. 
this discipline is still roughly 20 years old. And so because of that, there are people uh, who don't, they don't understand. And there's nothing against them. It's just a fact. They don't understand it. And so we still, however, have a responsibility to achieve success in the midst of being understood. Basically speaking, we're trying to thrive at being successful while going against the grain cognitively of a lot of people who are tied in, who are stakeholders and clients. They, they, have, a, they have a stake in what it is that we're doing, but they don't understand what's being done. And that's tough. So that's another reason why you got to have thick skin to work in user experience because of that. It's This is not uh, flowers and cotton candy and unicorns over here. And so if, if somebody thinks that it is, you're going to have a hard time turning lemons into lemonade. How do we achieve success while we're being misunderstood? It, it's similar to the being void of support. We continue to drive success. We continue to commit to excellence. We continue to bring value. And we make sure that we are patient. Stop trying to make people understand who you are on a whim. It, it simply isn't going to happen. They're going to digest it over time. And when something that you're working on from them has huge impact, it will finally settle in. What I've seen people I've been a part of winning people over, over the course of my career. It's something that's extremely tough to do. In many instances, I worked at one company where a lot of the people I worked for, they were all engineers. It was so tough, but we went to, we always did it this way to how come Darren isn't in this meeting? Get him in here. Find out where Darren is. He wasn't invited. We need Darren. They went from one extreme to the other. And, and I earned that because of the things that we did. I was misunderstood. And in that situation, I had a lot of support. I was misunderstood by stakeholders, by clients who were told that they need to work with UX. You know, why do I need to work with UX? We've always done it this way. But eventually I was able to win them over by the things I'm telling you now. Patience, communication. As a matter of fact, at that company, I ended up building a UX intranet and constantly posted content so that people could understand more about UX on their terms and, and, and on their pace. I wasn't forcing people to do anything. I just kept driving success after success after success, over 20 projects, success after success after success. Nobody hates success. Everybody loves success. So when you do that, when you bring value, folks can't help but to welcome you to the table. So folks, the beauty of Lemonade is that no matter what you're being dealt, no matter what scenario you're being subjected to, there is going to be, usually, there is a way to come out on top. There is a way to bring value. There is a way to make the UX team look good. There is a way to, to drive your internal team's brand with stakeholders. Just remember, don't take that lemon. Yeah, it's sour. You're not going to sit there. That's not the thing that people, on the average person is looking to take lemons straight out of that. We need to sweeten it up a bit. We need to make it, uh, we need to sort of transform it into something else. And so we get into all these 
lemon situations and it's going to take some emotional intelligence, some determination, some patience. And folks, you can get there. Love the discipline. Remember what you need to do to represent the discipline and don't allow your circumstances to allow you to snap or to allow you to to become emotional. Don't get wrapped up in your emotions when that emotional intelligence, that calmness, that that patience, again, that 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 great demeanor, that business like demeanor. Those are the things that are going to help us to succeed. So let's embrace that today again. This is another part of UX that people don't talk about, has nothing to do with your Figma, nothing to do with your prototypes, nothing to do with your wireframes, nothing to do with any of that stuff that we always hear people talk about. That's why a lot of people come into UX and they don't succeed because they don't understand this stuff. Be determined to turn your lemons into lemonade. And that is the beauty of lemonade. That is all the time we have for today, folks. Thanks for taking the time to tune in today. Tell other people about the podcast. Uh, We'd love to see more people partake. Uh, But until next time, uh, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.